Well, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm a discipleship pastor here. Anybody feel brave enough to tell me your favorite song? No one does. Okay, got it. <laughs> Last service, somebody was super proud that their favorite song was uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I mean, he yelled it out right away. Unbelievable. Uh, so that's how first service went. Welcome to second service. <laughs> we are in uh, week two of a series called Summer Playlist. And if you were here last week, then you heard Mike give an overview of the Psalms. He also played a game at the front end of his message, and so will I. Um, and so we're going to play. Last week he played some clips of songs, and you had to see if you could guess what the song was or recognize the song. Um, I'm not as much of a music person. I'm more of an audiobook, speech, podcast type person. And so I thought it would be super fun and probably nerdy, but that's fine, to do uh, sentences from famous speeches throughout history. I'll start the line. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to history class. Glad you could make it to church today. Uh, I'll start the line, and you guys just finish it, right? We'll start out easy. Four score and seven years ago. <laughs> this is what's fun about this game is nobody knows when to stop. <laughs> They're just like, I know the whole thing, so you ready for this? <laughs> All right. Ask not what your country can do for you. Nobody knows past that one, right? Like that's, anyways. Um, yesterday, December 7th, 1941. You guys are nailing it. Way to go. All right. And this from every graduation in the history of the world. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I... We weren't as confident with that one, but I think we got there. <laughs> Good job, everyone. <laughs> Today we're, uh, we're looking at Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is, at the beginning of Psalms, this same sort of idea. Two distinct roads are about to diverge, and we get to choose. Psalm 1 is known as the, uh, as the preface psalm. Because it sets a foundation for all the rest of the Psalms. A lot of, some of the earlier translations serve, used it as an actual preface, and then it was later added as the first Psalm. But Charles Spurgeon had this to say. This Psalm, Psalm 1, may be regarded as the preface Psalm, having in it a notification of the contents of the entire book. It is the psalmist's desire to teach us the way to blessedness and to warn us of the sure destruction of sinners. This, then, is the matter of the first psalm, which may be looked upon in some respects as the text upon which the whole book of psalms make up a divine sermon. So someone builds this foundation, and it gives the reader and it gives you and I a choice to make. So we have this choice to make each day, our way or God's way. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says this, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. The whole book of Psalms, this collection of poems and songs and, and uh, yeah, metaphors and ideas, is this liturgy of human struggle and questions and wondering 
God, what do you have for me as I pursue you? There's brutal honesty in there. There's deep, confounding questions found within these songs and poems. And there's a lot of indication of how hard it is to choose God's way over our way day in and day out. But Psalm 1 sets up this contrast, this clear distinction right at the beginning. And it's saying that as you read through these psalms, you're going to see both sides of this. You're going to see when people sin and mess up, and you're going to see when people are joyous because they've been following God faithfully. You'll see this struggle play out for the rest of the book. But here we have this choice. So think about this as we start out and we look at Psalm 1. I think about this kind of a lot. Before everything, God was. And that hurts my brain sometimes to think about because I think very linearly about things and I like to understand the progression. And so everything I've ever encountered and known to be true has a beginning and an end. But I know that God doesn't. And I don't know how to reconcile that. But I do know that it means that everything that I understand that has a beginning and an end, God is superior to that and resides above that. And so he stands outside of our understanding, and he has set in motion everything that we do understand. And our capacity for knowledge is exceeded by the transcendence of God. And so he has more wisdom that he would like to impart to us day in and day out, and we get this choice. Will we listen to and tap into the wisdom and the way that God would have for us to live, or will we confine ourselves in an understanding that we have it all figured out? Because in this book, not just in the book of Psalms, but in this book in Scripture, there's life to be found, there's wisdom to be found, there's understanding to be had, and there's something about this book that's transformative if we dive into it and we understand God's way. It's a sort of instruction manual for how to live a better and more full life in pursuit of God and joining in on his advancing kingdom. One of my favorite things to do, and this is also nerdy, just, you know, whatever, don't judge me. But one of my favorite things to do is to put together the little furniture things from like Ikea or Target. I love it. It's like a puzzle that's very satisfying to me because after it's done, it stands as a testament to my craftsmanship in my living room instead of just I got to put it back in a box and put it in a closet. What's that? You know? But I haven't always been real big on reading all the instructions, as it were. I would more skim it. I never threw the instructions away. That would be dumb. But I did skim over the instructions. And I made a correction in my thinking when I was putting together uh, Cohen's crib, my firstborn son's crib. And I'm not exaggerating to you. I put it together incorrectly three times in a row. The same mistake three times in a row. And I was putting it together. I get it standing, and the sticker that said left would be on the right, and the sticker that said right would be on the left. And I was like, Emily, they got the stickers on here wrong. Can you believe that? And I take it apart, and I did it again. I was like, yeah. And I took it apart, and I did it again. So it took me four tries to put things on the correct side. That's because it was turned and upside down, and it was harder than it sounds, okay? But now I know read all of the instructions Make sure that you put things out the way the instructions go. Don't just skim through. Don't get a basic idea. Understand the instructions. 
And God gives us the same principle. He gives us an instruction here. He's like, hey, I have more than you could understand collected in these books, collected in the Psalms. You're going to see a lot of what it means to pursue me, to come after me. And so delight in this. Make sure you spend time with this every day. Read and reflect on the words in here, and it will give you life, and it will give you instruction, and it will guide your path as you try to pursue me. He has more understanding than we could ever uh, understand, and he wants to impart wisdom into us, and he's given us an instruction manual in which to follow. And Psalm 1 is full of this distinction, this contrast of are you going to follow God's way or are you going to follow your own way? And so here's the bottom line truth today. If you don't leave with anything else, make sure you leave with this. Delight in God's word. It will never fail you. If you just hold on to that, you'll have a lot in life. One of the best gifts that my wife gave me at our wedding is the pastor that was, doing, that was officiating our wedding was a friend of ours, and he asked us both, submit a verse to him that was a surprise about a verse that described each other. So what a verse that described Emily that I was supposed to submit and a verse that was an encouragement or described me that she was supposed to submit. And I was blown away because she chose Psalm 1, 1 through 3 for me. And it's this constant reminder that if you don't, if you hold on to all the collected knowledge in the world, but you don't delight in God's word and the wisdom found there, you have nothing. If you have pursuits of academia and intellectualism, but you don't hold on to God's word and you don't square that and you don't understand, you don't seek more of God's wisdom, then you have nothing. And not that those things are bad, but they're not full and complete like God's word is. It's not life-giving like God's word is. And so delight in God's word because it will not fail you. It won't come up short. It will keep you going. Delight in God's word. And so what we're going to do today is walk through the rest of Psalm 1 and pull out three truths that are very simple to see and I think sometimes difficult to live out because life blends what should be black and white. Subtly, day by day, we fall away from following and holding on to God's ways, and we just try to do life on our own. We're figuring it out. We're putting the bookshelf of the crib together without the instructions anymore, and we're going to end up with things a little bit backwards. And so as we dive in, will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we leave here today, that we would hold on to your word as unfailing. That we would trust it more and more each day. That we would get better at following it more and more each day. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we can see in Psalm 1 is that God's word is sustaining. It's not just that there's wisdom there, but there's a life-giving element to it. And so Psalm 1, 3 says this. He, the one who delights in the Lord's instruction and, and meditates on it day and life and night, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. 
I, uh, I've never been what you would call a green thumb. I can't keep plants alive for very long. They have a, a high mortality rate in my presence. Um, I'd like to say that it's because of the longitude and latitude or some climate change reasons or like I didn't put it in the sun, whatever, but it all comes down to actually one reason for me that plants don't have a long life in my presence and it's that I don't remember to water them. Turns out plants don't like that very much. They need water and I just don't remember. And this year my mother-in-law gave us a, a planter, a thing full of you know, flowers. I don't even know what it's called. You can tell how much of a rookie I am at this. But it was like, water these, get them planted relatively soon. Cool. Thank you for the flowers. I got that. Emily, I'll take care of that. I'll water these for you. Whatever. I was going to be husband of the year until, well, I forgot to water them every single day. I would drive into my garage, and they were sitting there by the flower bed, and I would think, oh, man, got to water those. And I'd pull into the garage, and I'd walk into my house, and it was like my memory was erased. They're like, what was I going to do? I don't remember. I'm going to go get a snack. You know, it's like, what is happening in my brain? And then I'd leave the house, and I'd see the flowers and be like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to water those. And I would leave the house. I'll get those when I get back. That for sure didn't happen. You could see that coming, right? Like, that's not a plot twist. I'm definitely not going to water them when I get back. And so I'd go in and out until one day I noticed, oh, no, these flowers that were a gift to us, And that's when I was like, I should water these, right? <laughs> the the flower, like the petals are no longer pink and yellow and nice. They're like brown and scrunched and they look like raisins somehow. I don't know how that happened. But I got the water and I watered them. And I was like, okay, let this be a miracle. 50% of them lived through. I planted those. Some of them were just straight dead, like just brown, whatever. The rest of them, they made it. Because when wa plants have water, they live. So contrast those flowers that were dependent on temperamental, forgetful me versus a tree that's planted by a flowing river. Or it could be translated as irrigation channels. Meaning this tree is in a spot where day in and day out and whenever it needs it, it's going to have the sustaining water that's going to help it to grow healthy. Its leaves will never even wither. It's going to bear fruit when it should bear fruit. It's going to be healthy and strong and nourished. It's like a tree planted right where the tree needs to be. That's what happens when you plant yourself in God's word. And when you plant yourself in conventional wisdom, sometimes, yeah, you get sustaining water and you get something that's going to carry you through through the day, but it's not a 100% success rate. And you get sun-scorched life the next day and you start to shrivel. If you plant yourself in God's word, you're like a tree next to a flowing stream, a river, irrigation channel. You will have what you need. And so plant yourself in God's word. And this is strong language because it's a tough decision to make day in and day out. It's a discipline to go and say every day I'm going to read and reflect and wonder and let God's word soak into my heart so that I can be changed and so that I can grow up and so I can live the life that God wants me to live. You wake up and you're like, I should spend time in God's word. I got a Twitter notification. I should check that first. What? You wake up and there's an email, there's text messages. You're just like, can we just start? Can we make this choice 
start the day with one verse and let that soak into your life and see how that changes you. And then start the day with one chapter. And then start the day with two chapters or three chapters. But just start somewhere reading and reflecting and letting that provide life-giving water into your life because there's wisdom here. There's sustenance here. God's word will sustain you when life gets really difficult and when circumstances seem to just dry up and soak up the rest of your life. God's word will sustain you. The second thing is this. God's word is strong. Psalm 1, 4, and 5 says this. The wicked are not like this. They're not like a tree planted. Instead, they're like chaff that blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners, sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Chaff is this sort of light shell around grain. And it has to be stripped away before the kernel of the grain can be ground down into flour. And the way that they would do that sometimes is they would just throw it up and then the, sh the wind would blow the chaff off the, the kernel, off the grain. And this picture that the psalmist is painting is that when you have a life devoid of God's wisdom, when you're not planting yourself in the sustaining truth and the sustaining wisdom of the life that God has for you, you can be blown away just... There's no substance there. You can't stand up against the circumstances and the winds of life. And life will blow winds of uncertainty into your story. It just happens. You don't see the pink slip coming. You don't see the divorce papers coming. You don't see the financial stress coming. And it just heaps on you all of a sudden. And you're like, I don't know which way to turn, but I don't know what's happening. You just got to plant yourself in something that's stronger than conventional wisdom, something that's sustaining. It's strong. It has roots. At my parents' house, there's these two huge trees, and you can see them through the neighborhood even at, before you can see the house as you're getting ready to go around the corner to finally approach my parents' house, but you can see them, and I always see them as I'm approaching, and they stand there as this beacon of like, this is where home is. And those trees have been there every year of my life, and they've been there for years before that. And they've gone through, in Xenia, Ohio, multiple tornadoes and hurricane-force winds, and they're just still standing there because they're trees with root system that won't give way when winds of uncertainty give. And this distinction, this contrast that the psalmist is saying is that you will either be like chaff, I mean, you'll be blown away by the difficulty of life, or you'll be sturdy, and you'll be able to withstand what happens in your life, that difficulty, whatever it is, the passing of a relative, the diagnosis, whatever it is, you'll have strength in the midst of those things. The Psalms don't promise a, an easy life. But the psalmist does promise that you can have strength in the midst of uncertainty if you plant yourself in God's word and God's wisdom. And thirdly, God's word protects. And I've, I've used God's word here instead of God's way interchangeably because you find God's way from God's word. If you're wondering to figure out what God wants for your life, the best place to start would be scripture and then you go talk to somebody else. 
I think that sometimes we get that a little backwards. We go talk to somebody else and then see if Scripture confirms what we're thinking. Hopefully God's on board with this plan. Start with God's word. You'll figure out God's way. You might need some help along the way. You might need a friend to speak into that, but start there. God's word protects. Psalm 1-6 says this. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. In the Hebrew, this verse could more literally be translated, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It could perhaps most literally be translated, the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. God sees you. Do you understand that? God sees you. And like a loving father, he wants to see you through what you're going through. If you'd acknowledge him and say, I'll trust you, God sees you. He wants to carry you through. He will protect you. These psalms, like I said, don't promise an easy, cheery, cheerful, happy life. They promise you a strong life. They promise you a life with peace that surpasses understanding when you trust God completely. They give hope. They allow room for questions and doubts. You see strong language as you go through the Psalms of people that are struggling with what it means to follow God. But this overarching sense that he's got their back. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. God's word will not fail. There's a couple ways that you can walk in God's way. Read, Like I said, read and reflect on God's word every day. And if you don't do it every day, do it every other day. And if you don't do it every other day, do it every third day. Start with frequency and add to that. And don't stop because you missed. Don't miss twice. Don't miss three times if you've missed twice. There's, there's life here. Pray each day. Pray for God to give you guidance. Pray to tell him when you messed up and find people that will support you in that pursuit. Because I promise you, as sure as God's word will not fail, you will. You will. You will make a mistake when it comes to following Jesus. You'll probably make one before lunchtime. But here's the good news. We live on the better side of history than the psalmist did. We live on the side of history with the cross in our rear view where we can hold on to what happened as a promise that no matter what our past, our future has hope and our future can be rewritten and we can have a new way of living because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't ever have to be counted out because of what we've done because he has a different way for us. Jesus will restore us no matter what. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you're not on God's path, where you're not following God's way, where you're not trusting in God's word, and you're not living completely like you should, Jesus restores us no matter what. There's no asterisk. There's no caveat. It's just you can have restoration in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Romans 5.8 says this. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got ourselves cleaned up. Not after we stood up, after we've been beaten down. While we were still in our mess. I'll never forget one year I came back from college and I was going to help my dad clean up the backyard to get it ready for summer bonfires and hang out and whatever. In this particular year, we were going to close up and fill in a pond. And it was a mess because the cover and the netting that was supposed to keep all the leaves out had got blown away. And I may have been asked to put it back on and I may have not put it back on. It doesn't matter. My dad asked me to help. I said, sure, I'll help. He said, you better get some help. I said, oh, not you? Okay, cool. I'll call my friend Matt. Matt came and we got after this pond, dirty, swampy mess. Yuck. It was full of leaves and animal stuff. Full, full, all the way full. And we had to figure out how we're going to clean out this pond. And so me and my friend Matt started with shovels and buckets and we started scooping it all out as best we could and we put it in a wheelbarrow and we wheeled it down and we, I mean, it was, it was a bad smell. It was a rough situation. And then we got to a place where we couldn't scoop any more out because it was pretty solid. There was no more liquid. It was mostly, and by solid I mean like gelatinous, not like solid. It was whatever. And so at that point we had to get the pump out because there's no more water, so you got to get the pump out. And I was like, I got this. I can pull that pump right out. No big deal. I jump into the, the pond. It goes up to about mid-shin, uh, mid mid, no, right here, whatever you call that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull this pump out. One, two, three, <laughs> and just nothing. I mean, it didn't move because it was in there. It was stuck. It was gross. And then I figured out, uh-oh, I can't get myself out of here. Like, my, I'm stuck up to almost my knees. I'm in a bad situation. And so I said, Matt, go get something. We got to figure out how to get out there. And he didn't even hesitate. He just said, come on, we got this. And he jumped into the pond with me. And now we're both in there. And both of us together can in the dirty, yucky pond. We pull the thing out, and it makes enough freedom that we can get out, thankfully. I'm not still stuck in the pond, everyone. You know, spoiler alert. But we were able to clean up the mess. But he didn't even hesitate. And every time I read Romans 5.8, that's the picture that comes to mind. There's not even a second hesitation when Jesus sees us standing in our mess, unable to free us and complete, you know, continue going on with life. He doesn't hesitate to jump in with us and say, we can get through this together. I know you're in a mess right now. I know you're in a bind right now. I know that you've messed up. Let's not talk about that. Let's go forward from here. He will restore us and replace us and put us back on a path where we can chase after him for the rest of our lives. So we have a choice to make. Not a complicated, not a complex, but a simple choice to make every day. And we need to remember that there is a distinct difference. Are we going to follow God's way? Or are we going to follow our way? There's wisdom in here. There's life in here. There's sustenance in here. There's protection in here. There's strength in here for whatever's going to come your way in life. And this first psalm sets up the foundation for this entire human pursuit of God. We're about to take communion. And every week we take the cracker, which represents the bloodshed. The cracker, which represents the body broken. The juice, which represents the bloodshed. For our sins.
And if you've acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, just take time to remember what he's done for us. And ask him, God, can I, can I be better this week than I was last week by pursuing you? Can I be better this week than I was last week? And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come see me. And we'll talk about it. Because he restores us no matter what. He's got life for us no matter what. And so what will your tomorrow look like? More filled with wisdom or less? Can you pray with me before we take communion? God, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we leave here and we seek to participate in what you're doing in the world, that you would help us to put your wisdom in front of us. Give us the strength. Help us to have the consistency of looking at what you say about life. We love you and we thank you that you restore us no matter what. In your son's name we pray.